Things you never thought you'd hear in church. Nirvana. But you know you would hear it at Action Church. I saw the kids coming into church this morning and they were so excited so I was intentional about asking them if they were excited about Christmas coming up. And to a kid, man, they were so excited. And I asked the kid, I said, man, what are you going to get for Christmas? And without hesitation, the kids started naming off all the things they were going to get. And it just reminded me of what a fun time of the year it is. It almost made me a little bit jealous of the excitement they get because an amazing thing happened in my life right about the time I turned 18. The reality of adult Christmas set in. It it, it was funny, right about 18, I moved out on my own, and, and the fun of the holidays turned into the stress of the holidays. The carefree uh, fantasy of some fat dude coming down my chimney was left, and it was replaced by the added stress of presents, money spent, family gatherings, crowds, and, and that Christmas joy quickly turned to Christmas dread. Can anybody relate? Can anybody be honest and say they relate? What's supposed to be the hap, hap, happiest time of the year becomes a time of the year that we dread. They actually say that suicide rates during the holidays almost triple. Think about that for a second. A, a time of year where there ought to be joy and excitement and, and anticipation turns into a season of dread for so many people. So we're in the last week of a series that we're calling Christmas Preppers, and we're trying to prep you this year not to survive during the holidays, but rather how to thrive during the holidays, how to get back to keeping the main thing the main thing, how how to keep getting back to keeping the focus, how to have this amazing thing called boundaries during the holiday seasons. Seven years ago, Christine and I had our first Christmas together. I actually think it might have been eight years ago. Eight years ago. It was our eighth Christmas together. And to say that the first Christmas or the first holiday season was stressful was an understatement. Two different ways of doing things. The right way and the wrong way. Two different families coming together as one. Two different sets of traditions And the holiday season that first year was just crazy. I remember her mom came into town for, I think, 47 days. I think it was only 17, but it felt like 47, eight years ago. Trying to balance out going to my family and going to her family and balancing out Christmas Eve services and and what kids were going to be where on what days. And it was just a crazy first holiday season. I think some of the first fights we ever had as a couple were during the holiday season. Lucky for us, Christine and I are big on talking things out. We work things out. Sometimes we talk things out and they get loud. Sometimes we talk things out and they're cordial. But we talk things out and we decided, I'll never forget, that we were never going to have another holiday season like that first holiday season. We were going to make Christmas 
the best time of the year. And I think we do a really good job of that in our house. We don't do everything great in our house, but I think one of the things that we do a really good job at is embracing the reason for the season, embracing the holidays. We're able to have that balance during the holidays. It doesn't necessarily turn into some miserable time of the year. It's one of the few things as we've got older that we've been able to figure out. We're in the last week of this series, and we've talked so far about how to deal with stress during the holiday season. We've talked about how to deal with financial pressure during the holiday season. Last week, we talked about how to deal with difficult people during the holiday season. And today, I want to talk to you about what will be one of the biggest game changers for you during the holiday season. I'm actually going to let you in on a little secret today. We're about 10 years in. I think this is our ninth or 10th Christmas at Action Church. I have preached this exact same message under a different title series every single year the week before our Christmas Eve service. The exact same message. I don't change the points. I don't change the scripture. Because I think it's that important. I think it's the key to ending your year well. I think it's the key to success in any aspect of your life, but especially during the holiday season, I think it's so vital. And the last point I want to talk to you today about is simply this. The holidays are not about me. That's one of the game-changing aspects in life. Let me rephrase that. Life in general is not about me. Life is not about you. The holidays are not about you. We are selfish individuals. It comes by human nature, by our sinful nature. We think that everything revolves around us. It's easy to say, well, he's a selfish person. The reality is we're all selfish individuals. We all want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. But one of the game-changing principles in my life when it came to making sure that the holidays went from dread to delight was accepting the fact that the holidays are not about me. And it's easy to amen that, and it's easy to be like, well, no joke, Jesus is the reason for the season. we got a catchy little rhyme that goes with that. But for an egomaniac like me, that's a huge principle. It's something that I need on a continual basis to remind me of. It's funny, as I look back over holidays where they were so stressful, and I look back over holidays where things were so insane, it always goes back to me being selfish that led to the craziness of the holidays. I, I, I had certain things that I thought should be bought, so it brings about financial burden, and the stress comes in of the holidays. I, I, I don't want to be around certain people that I've avoided all year, but it seems you can't avoid during the holidays. And, and so difficult situations arise. I want to be at everything I want to be at, even though my calendar doesn't dictate that. So it, 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 it makes calendar issues. I want, I want, I want always leads to dread during the holiday season. The large majority of stress in general goes back to our selfish desires. But for me during the holidays, I want what I want when I want it. I want it like this, and that leads to stress during the season. 
the holidays are not about me. As I've learned to regain joy throughout the holiday season, and I love the holidays. I get excited right before Thanksgiving, because who could not love a holiday that's all about eating? And then the lights come out, and you go out, and there's just a chill in the air, and there's just a fun time. I mean, people are bringing some people were bringing me chocolate bombs this morning. Who doesn't want a chocolate bomb for their hot cocoa? I mean, you don't get that in April. You get that at Christmas time. Man, the holidays are awesome. And as I begin to regain my joy in the holiday season, I, I'm learning that just a, like everything else in life, life should be about others. The holidays should be about others. Well, when you take the focus off I and you put it on others, your perspective begins to change during the holiday season. It's amazing the transformation that happens when you begin to care about others and you begin to love other people, even people you don't like. It's game-changing for the holidays. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It does not honor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Holy smokes, I hate that one. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always preserves. Those things are hard, <laughs> Everything I just gave you that's a qualification of love is hard. By nature, I'm a selfish individual. By nature, I'm an envious person. Jeff Waldron got a brand new truck this week. I got a brand new truck a year ago. My brand new truck's only a year old. I'm envious of Jeff's truck because it's newer. And I opened the door and I had that new truck smell. And I want a new truck now. But I know to get a new truck, it's Christine's time to update, and she don't really need to update either, but I'm thinking, huh, if I can scheme over here to get her this, then I can scheme over here to get this, because we're just envious. You say, I'm not like that. Well, good for you, I am. I'm very self-seeking. So everything the Bible says love is, man, or love isn't, I'm the opposite of. I'm very self-seeking by nature. Keeps no records of wrong. Are you kidding me? I can tell you when you wronged me, what time it was, what you were wearing, and where we were if it was 30 years ago. I keep a record of wrongs. It's almost impossible. The good news is, though, on our own we can't do it, but we don't have to do it on our own as Christ followers. The most loving people on the earth should be those who've been saved by the grace of God. The most loving people on the earth should be those who understand and realize we have a God who loves us in spite of being unlovable. And make no mistake about it, baby, you're unlovable. It's easy to get up on stage and talk about all my piss poor qualities and you a man, but the reality is I could sit here and tell you all yours too. I know you that well. And if I couldn't, the person sitting to the right or left of you could. We are an unlovable people, yet the God of the universe loves us. And therefore, because of his love towards us, we ought to be the people who love the most. 
We've forgotten, though, how much God's loved us. The Bible says, again, I read this verse all the time around here, but it's such a powerful verse. I think, I think this is that verse that we just overlook because we've heard it so much. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When you get down to the basics and you begin to remember how much God loves you, how can you not love others? But Gary, you don't know what, do you know what we do to God all the time? We break the heart of God all the time. We grieve the spirit of God all the time. Yet God loves us. How can we not love others? We, we love to come up with the reasons we don't love people. We, we like to categorize their sin. Well, X, Y, and Z is why I don't love that person. Let me enlighten you on something here today. Sin is sin. Now, there's different consequences for different sin. But sin is sin. And what I've noticed in our society, or what I've noticed with us as individuals, is we love to not love people who sin differently than we do. I've never seen this more strongly than with addicts. I always have found it funny. So we have AA and NA, and the AA people think the NA people are the worst. And the NA people think the AA people are the weakest. And then the gamblers over here, man, they think, well, at least I'm not, not smoking meth. You know what I mean? Like we, we, we classify our sin. We always think what someone else is doing is worse. A sin is sin. We're just the love. There's a great story in Luke 10 and Jesus doing his thing, teaching. And a religious leader stands up and begins to question Jesus. I love how the religious of the day were always trying to get Jesus off track. Jesus was the total opposite of religious. So he was coming along and he's teaching about a relationship with God, something personal. Instead of a list of rules that were religious. And the religious would come along and always question him. And the Bible says this in Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. To test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, man, he was a pimp. He just came back and he just threw, he answered a question with a question. Don't you hate when people do that? You tell me. He said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? You're trying to test me, but you might, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Came along and said, these are the two greatest commandments. So the guy asked Jesus, how do you hear eternal life? Jesus answered back, tell me. And the guy said, man, you got to love God, you got to love people. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you'll live. But then the guy comes along and tries to trip up Jesus. So I'm to love my neighbor as myself. Hey, Jesus, who's my neighbor? So who am I supposed to love? The people that look like me, the people who act like me, the people I like? And Jesus was like Yoda before there was a Yoda. He just comes along, man, and just says, I'm just going to answer this with a story. Anybody ever have that old granddad that sat on the front porch and would whittle wood and just go into these amazing stories? 
And at the end of the story, you're like, he just taught me a lesson. Anybody remember that? I love storytelling. It's amazing. And he comes along and says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus comes along and busts out a thing. And he, he takes the thoughts and the guy's being cocky now. Love my neighbor? No problem. I love people I know. My neighbor, that's my family, my friends, people like me. I got this. Love my neighbor? Cool. That's easy. Jesus, though, comes along and takes it home to another level. He goes into the story. He says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Man's traveling. And he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. And they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Jesus, who's my neighbor, man? That's easy. And Jesus goes into this story, and i got to set this up for you. He says, a guy's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You need to understand something. If you were to go pull up a map, this is a tough patch of road. It was a winding road. It was a curvy road. It went through the mountains, so you were isolated on this road. It was a very high crime road because it was easy for someone to rob you and beat you and there'd be no one else around. So it was a dangerous track of road. So this man gets beaten, he gets robbed, he gets left for dead. And as he's laying there about to die, don't miss this because it's so indicative of what's going on in the church today. As he's laying there, two men pass him by. Both religious. A priest passes him by. A Levite passes him by. The two dudes you think if anybody was going to stop and help this man, it would have been these two guys, and they pass the beaten man by. Some things never change. <laughs> so look over the landscape of the church today. The church should give two rips about loving the unlovable. You say, well, I know my child. Listen, listen, if you feel a need to defend such and such church, that's on you. I'm not talking about such and such church. So maybe you're convicted about such and such church that you feel a need to defend them. I don't know about such and such church. I'm talking about church, big C in general. Overall, has done a real poor job of loving the unlovable. We've Americanized the church. The church has become a political party. Instead of a station to love people. I look around at churches today and the church in general, again, big C, not every church. Save your emails on Facebook that are watching. And if the church are going to message me about so great, go watch them instead of us. Church in general is more concerned about being cool than they are the beaten man on the side of the road. They're more concerned about the offerings than they are the man on the side of the road. They're more worried about buildings, especially right now when they're not meeting and they're wondering how they're going to pay for those buildings. Oh, did I say that? Oh, I'm sorry. Than they are the man on the side of the road. They're worried about nickels and noses. But they really, at the end of the day, don't care that there's a world out there beating people up. 
that people are beat down. They're broke, busted, and disgusted. They're frustrated. They don't know how they're going to keep on. And the church, instead of meeting their needs and stopping, is looking at them and just passing them by. Something's wrong. We've made everything about us instead of others. If we're ever going to be that Christ followers, that Christ wants us to be, it's going to take people in this room. If we're ever going to be the church that God wants us to be, it's going to take people in this room deciding, man, it's not about us. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our four and no more. It's not about insiders. It's all about outsiders becoming insiders. That's why we exist. Always. For those that don't like that, that's cool. God bless you. We're probably not the church for you. I'd be glad to help you find a church. Chances are the church you're looking for is not having services right now. But I'll be glad to point you to their website where you can watch them online. You say, well, you're just kind of, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm so passionate about this issue that I can't see straight. I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes to this. I'm not interested in being the biggest church in town. I'm not interested in being the prettiest church in town. I'm not interested in having the most toys in town. I've been there, done that. Holy smokes, I've got the scars to prove it. I'm interested in being the church that's doing whatever it takes to reach those that are far from God. It's not about us. It's not about what we like. It's not about what I like. It's about doing whatever it takes to make outsiders insiders. To show a world that is more skeptical of the church than it's ever been. That God loves them right where they are. No, they got to do this first. No, they don't. Just like you didn't have to. God loved you. In the midst of the muck, in the midst of the mire, he took you up out of the mire, and set your feet on a rock. Quit looking at someone else's sin and thinking they're worse off than you are because they sin differently than you do. You hypocrite. You disgusting hypocrite. God loves all people. Black, white, rich, poor, straight, gay, blue, red, whatever you want to call it, whatever class. American or non-American. Loves them all. Had someone tell me recently, you're so un-American. Are you crazy? Oh my goodness, I love this country. I love freedom. I am freedom flag waving, hacksaw Jim Duggan, two by four hole. Like, I love it. But I understand the difference between being American and being a Christian. There's a difference. I know some of you won't be back because of that. So let me repeat it for those in the back. There's a difference between being an American and a Christian. They're not one and the same regardless of what the church says. It's not. Recently had a certain political party come through town. BTW, a political party that I lined up more with than the other side. And there was supposed to be rain. They said, hey, if there's rain, what do you think about doing your I said, no. What? We're the church. We're the church. I'm not against them being in town. I'm, if I didn't have anything to do, I would have went there to support the meeting. Maybe. But it would be a cold day in hell 
before this becomes a political platform. This is a Jesus platform. To the point that, do you know what they even said? Do you know what they would pay you in rent? You must have me mistaken for a prostitute. I don't turn tricks for money. With all due respect to any prostitutes we might have in the crowd. Knock yourself out, free market. But I am not one. We're about people and loving people right where they are. Man, he's laying there to die and and the religious passing by. I got to get back to my notes. Man. You can't love the unlovable if you think it's all about you. You can't. It's impossible. But look what the Bible goes on to say. But a Samaritan, Samaritans hated the Jews. You've got to understand this. You've heard me talk about that before. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went down to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus looks to the man and says, Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hand of the robbers? That's for the law. Couldn't argue. He said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, then go and do likewise. It's so simple. It's so simple that the guy that was trying to trip Jesus up couldn't even argue. He said, I'm the one that showed mercy. He's like, then go do likewise. You know what the religious love do? They love to complicate this book. Can I tell you something? This is a simple book to understand. Let me sum this whole book up, Genesis to Revelation. Love God. Love people. Everything else falls into one of those two categories. But what about this? Love God. (coughs) Love people. Love God. Love people. By the way, fat guy who wears shorts in the winter. It's okay. I'm going to cough every now and then. Don't freak out. And you're more than six feet away. Love God. Love people. It's not complicated. We complicate it. I just got a couple of questions about your sermon. I like to break this down in the, the Greek, if you don't mind. Sure. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. I, I love to debate theology. It's so fun. I love it. I mean, I, seriously, I, I love it. It's a side hobby. But at the end of the day, I'm not breaking fellowship with you over whether we we think Jesus is coming back before the tribulation or after the tribulation. Are you pre-trib or post-trib? I'm pan-trib. I believe it all pan out in the end. I don't care. It's fun to debate. But love God, love people. Quit complicating it. Man, you've got to understand something. This story Jesus told was scandalous. The fact that a Samaritan would stop and help a Jew after two religious Jews passed the Jew by was unheard of. 
And it's pretty funny considering what's going on in our society today. Because in order to love people, you can't see social standing. In order to love people, you can't see skin color. In order to love people, you can't see religious beliefs. In order to love people, you can't see lifestyle choices. In order to love people, you don't love based on what you get back from them. In order to love people, you don't love because they love you. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. The Bible says as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. We try to, what, two wrongs make a right? Well, they're this, this, and this, so I'm this. You're wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. Man, loving people means we love no strings attached, nothing in return. And we do it simply because Jesus tells us to do it because guess what? Life is not about us. The holidays are not about us. I have a situation coming up, a gathering coming up. That if it was up to me, I would not attend. I have valid reasons not to attend it. But it's not about me. This gathering is 100% not about me. It's about someone else who it's very important to. It's about several people who it's very important to. So guess what I will do? Because I have matured, finally started to mature at 44 years of age. I will attend it. I will never complain about it. I will smile about it. And I will do what I'm supposed to do because what I'm supposed to do is love. Now, I haven't fully matured. So luckily, Rick will be there and we'll find a little corner and we'll complain and we'll make fun of people to each other. But overall, 90%, we will be good. Why? Because we're supposed to love. So how do we do that? It sounds great. Don't it sound great to love people? It's hard. It's hard. But the Samaritan shows us how to do it. He shows us how to prove it's not about us. The first thing he does is he allowed himself to truly see the man. It's huge. The priest saw the man. Let me back that up. The priest saw a problem and crossed over to the other side. The Levite saw back that up. The Levite saw an inconvenience and crossed back over to the other side. The Samaritan saw a man. The priest and the Levite saw a problem where the Samaritan saw a person. He truly saw what was going on. The first two men were distracted, preoccupied, agenda-driven to be bothered by the need. Samaritan walking down the road saw a man and knew at the end of his life he wouldn't be able to live with himself leaving someone hurting on the side of the road. He had the opportunity to love and he wasn't going to let that pass him by. Can I be honest with you today? Life is simpler to not see. 
When you start seeing people as people, being honest with you, it's a hassle. When you start seeing people as people, it's dirty. When you start seeing people as people, there's risk involved. There's cost involved. There's commitment involved. <laughs> but you can't love until you start seeing. Swung into the church that I had to pick up something. I was running behind. I needed to be here literally for 30 seconds. I needed to run in and run out. It's a homeless guy out front. Did everything in my power not to make eye contact with him. Sir! I said, I'll be back out in a minute. i got to grab something. I come back out. I'm, I, I'm ready for the spill. I already got a preconceived notion. I had already got a little bit of attitude in my head. And he said, you wouldn't happen just to have a blanket, would you? I was so loving. You know what my response was? What else do you want? I know you didn't wait out here just for a blanket. No, no, I'm not looking for a handout. I, it just got cold in my tent last night. And I didn't know if you happened to have a blanket in there. Someone told me to come here. I said, so you don't need any food? You don't need me to put you up in a hotel? I mean, I was almost being a jerk. He said, no, sir, I, I just need a blanket. And boy, I got so convicted in the midst of me being busy, in the midst of me having to be somewhere. And I always joke that you can find anything you need in this building. If the zombie apocalypse happens, come to this building. It's here. And I'll be dang if I couldn't find a blanket. I looked high and low and low and high. Took me almost, I, I know it was God. Took me almost 40 minutes to find a blanket. In this building, where there's a thousand blankets, I finally found one. And I was like, God, why did it take me so long to find a blanket? I'll tell you why. It was God just trying to show me, man, just love people. I know this sounds dumb, but I know had I not had any attitude with that guy to begin with, and all I needed was a blanket, I'd have found a blanket in 10 seconds. It was just a great reminder. I give him the blanket, and I'm still skeptical in the back of my mind. Here it comes. Thank you, sir. And he starts to get on his bike. I said, I said so you're telling me you don't need any food? Uh, I got a few things. I said, come on inside. Let's go find some food. He didn't ask for anything. But as I took time out to begin to see him as a person instead of a problem, my heart began to grow to want to help the guy even more. When you see people as people, they're no longer an inconvenience. Every day we run into people. But we don't see people. We see a cashier who's not going as fast as we think they ought to go. We run into people and we get irritated because they, they don't line up with our views of COVID like we do. They're, they're wearing a mask and that's stupid or they're not wearing a mask and that's stupid. And we get irritated about with them. Instead of seeing people and realizing they've got different scenarios going on in their life and different obstacles in their life. We don't take into account that, God forbid, they're going through the same BS that we're going through. They're just an inconvenience to us. The, the Samaritan interrupted his schedule and don't miss this, emptied his pockets to help the man. You understand something. He was an outsider. He ran the risk of helping this man. He could have been helping this man and someone else roll up on there and they think that he's the one who did that to the man. He would have been killed instantly as a Samaritan helping a Jew. He didn't care. 
He ran the risk of the innkeeper reporting him to the authorities for dropping off a beaten up Jew. He didn't care. Don't miss this. He saw a man. And when he saw a man, he saw the man's condition. And leaving that man behind wasn't an option. Loving completely means losing control of our schedule. Losing control of our money. Losing control of our time. When we love, we see others as they truly are. It's not about you this holiday season. Not only that, he accepted the man as he was. He accepted the man as he was. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. You can't gloss over this. This is huge. This dude was a Samaritan. The guy who was laid out was a Jew. The Jews hated the Samaritans. I cannot stress to you. We think we have hate in our society today. They don't touch anything when it came to the way the Jews felt towards the Samaritans. To the Jews, the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jews, half-Samaritans. When Israel was in captain, the, uh, captivity, the men or women who were um, married to their captors and had children, these were the Samaritans. The, the, the Jews believed if you had anything to do with a Samaritan, even if you, you, you broke bread with a Samaritan, it was like the equivalent of eating the flesh of a pig. And the Jews, that was the most unclean thing in the world. I think I've shared with you before that the Jews actually prayed prayers in the synagogue thanking God that they weren't half-breed Samaritans. That was their prayer. They hated the Samaritans. Yet this Samaritan came along and he saw this Jewish man and he helped him anyway. Seeing the man as he truly was didn't stop the Samaritan from helping him. It didn't stop the Samaritan from loving. He didn't see a Jew. He saw someone who needed to be loved. Listen, if you want to make the most out of life, if you want to make the most out of the holiday season, you've got to realize it's not about you. You can't allow your love to be conditional. But they're an addict. Yeah, they're an addict. They're a crook. Yeah, they're a crook. They're a liar. Yeah, they're a liar. They're, they're, a, they're this or that. or this. Yeah, get it. And you're this, this, and this. You love people right where they are. Not where you want them to be. We love to put conditions on our love. When they act this way, I'll start loving them. When they start doing this, I'll start loving them. Accepting is when you stop trying to change someone and you cherish them the way they are. That doesn't mean you don't want better for them. That doesn't mean you don't you put boundaries up with them. It doesn't mean you don't come along and try to bring them along in life, but you love them right where they are. Because if you don't love them right where they are, they'll never get to the point where they could be. One of my goals at this church is that we'd be the most diverse church around. I'd love to see white next to black. Straight next to gay. Millionaires next to homelessness. If we had more millionaires next to homelessness, we would have less homelessness. Seasoned Christians, mature Christians, whatever that is, worshiping next to atheists. 
drunks worshiping next to those in recovery. That's what the church exists for. The most segregated place in America is church. The most segregated time in America is Sundays for an hour. It's the only place we got black church and white church, contemporary church and traditional church and young church and old church. Man, we break down church into all of our... Imagine if we broke down restaurants, how we broke down churches. But in the name of God, it's acceptable somehow. No, it's not. It's disgusting is what it is. Does that mean that we agree with every person that comes in and their lifestyle choices? No, just like they're not going to agree with everything I do. Guess what? It's okay to disagree. Amazing. How boring would the world be if we all felt the same way about everything? The key, though, is to be mature enough to disagree. Facebook has shown me a lot of immaturity in our society. We don't know how to disagree anymore. It's absurd. Listen, he he saw the man, he saw his condition. And last of all, I'm done, we're going to go home. He acted on his love. (laughs) He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. It's not enough to notice the dude laying there. It's not enough to accept the dude laying there. What separates us as Christ followers is we're supposed to act on the person laying there. We're to do whatever it takes, short of sin, to assist that person. Hey, let me tell you what happens when you assist people that are hurt. Sometimes you get hurt. I've been burned too many times. Shut up. You've been burned at work and you keep going. My car broke down one time. Am I going to quit driving because my car left me on the side of the road? Ain't it convenient how we twist stuff to fit our scenario? You know. How many of you got kids? How many kids have ever let you down? Guess what? You, you still love them. they're taking advantage. Let them answer God for that. Again, see, here's our problem. We want to be judge, jury, executioner. Let God do that. It's just our job to love. That's hard for people. We're control freaks. We're micromanagers. We think that we have some superpower to transform people. You don't. There's nothing I'm more arrogant and cocky about than that. I think I can change people. I can't. God can. How many times have I told you, if I could just sit them down and talk to them? Christian's like, oh yes, you're the one person. And in some cases, I might be the one person. But it's the arrogance that I think I can change them. You know? My job is just to love them, not to change them. You've heard me use this a million times. I, I love it. When Billy Graham dealt with Bill Clinton after the Monica Lewinsky scandal, Imagine this, a preacher ministered to a man who had screwed up. Shocking. 
What's more shocking is the church went crazy and bashed him. Blasted Billy Graham. He lost supporters, followers. And Billy Graham, like only Billy Graham can, said this, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's just my job to love. God's job to judge, Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's just my job to love. And love's a verb. It's take action. Love's not something you can say, it's something you do. Talk is cheap. The Bible says faith without works is dead. <laughs> Man. If God can love us, who are we not to love others? It's our job to take action. That's why our church name is Action Church. It's not the flashiest name. It's not the fanciest name. Nowadays, you've got to have a cool name. Relevate. Transformate. A lot of bad words, Rob, with those words. I'm going to move on. I'm guilty of it. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Boy, I'm going to get so much hate. Revolution. What a stupid name. <laughs> you know? What a stupid name. Your church. I named it so I can say it. You know? Transfiguration. Elevate. Like everything's like a ski lodge. <laughs> you know? There's like action. You know, we weren't action because I wanted to have a cool name early on. We were called C3. Was anybody here when we were C3 for like three weeks? Yeah. You say, what does that mean? I don't remember. That's why we changed the name. It was like three C's. I couldn't, no one could remember them. We changed the name to action. Because I, I just wanted a church that described what we were going to do. We we're going to take action. It's easy to talk about what you're going to do. It's hard to do it. Talk's cheap. Anybody can talk to talk. I get asked all the time, why don't y'all do this and this and that? I said, this seems like a lot of pomp and circumstance. I got invited recently to a collaboration of all these nonprofits in our town. They meet once a month. They got invited me like five years ago because they were talking about homelessness and I went. There's lots of great ideas. Boy, there were so many ideas in there. And no one knew what I was, we were doing here as a church. And so I said, what if someone just did this? And I told them what we were doing. That'd never work. Huh. And I finally said, I said, well, you know we do that. We've been doing it for three years. Well, what? Well, I won't call these questions on why it won't work. I finally said, I said, man, y'all got a lot of great business plans on paper on how to help homelessness. Yet none of you are doing it. So a month ago, I got invited back. I guess five years later, they decided to broach the subject again. I said, nah, we're not interested. I got something going on that day. We want to hear your ideas. I said, I don't have any ideas. I said, that's y'all's problem. Y'all meet together a month with ideas. Excuse my language. I said, it's a circle jerk. That's what I told the person. Of ideas. I said, just do something. 
The guy's like, it's probably better you don't come. <laughs> I know! you got to act on your love. It's easy to tell your wife you love her. But social media makes it easier than ever. God, the biggest hillbilly in the world is a Casanova now. He probably never has told her those things that he writes on the wall for everybody to like and tell him how great of a husband he is. Oh, did I say that? I always get a kick, and I'm not trying to pick on any. I always get a kick on people that wish their kids happy birthday on social media when their kids aren't on social media. This is my nine-year-old. He's an amazing blah, blah, blah. Happy birthday, Bubba. He ain't even on social media, you idiot. You posted that for everybody else to pat you on the back. Tell your kids you love them. I got to get out of here. I'm getting in trouble. Act on your love. And I'm so proud of that tree every year that gets all those presents taken because you act on your love. I'm so proud at Thanksgiving, but I got to be honest with you. I expect that. That's Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's easy. I'm more proud of things you do all year long that nobody knows about. Feeding people and clothing people and, and meeting needs in this church. You guys get this. So I'm not preaching at you today. I'm just reminding you, don't ever forget it. That's how you deal with a church like this. You don't deal with a church like this if it's all about you. You can't function. The only way you deal with a church like this in an old grocery store with a nasty parking lot full of potholes in the roughest part of town that looks like it has curtains falling all around us. Like, someone said, why is it so dark? I said, if it was light, you wouldn't come back. Keep it dark. Because you realize it's not about you. You want to get through the next week, the holiday season? Realize it's not about you. It'll change your whole perspective. Let's pray.